Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. I am Mike Leon. And even more careful about things I say in front of my ring doorbell, I am Nick Severi. <laughs> oh my God. You know, I was waiting to see where you were going to go on that one. That's that's pretty decent. <laughs> I guess to stay in. Uh, more on that later on in the program. You almost beat me to the copy, Nick. Uh, listen, on the program today, the entire episode, Nick, is declassified, by the way. In case anybody was wondering, I said it out loud. I know you were thinking it, so we just decided to go ahead and declassify this whole episode. Um, Republicans have a commitment to America plan that you need to sit down and listen to. Our takeaways from this town hall, if you missed it last week, Plus, later on in the program, NPR politics reporter Jimena Bustillo, she's going to join us. She covers the White House. She's also been covering the most recent string of migrant flights, supposed migrant flights by Governor DeSantis that was supposed to be to Delaware. One flight that never matriculated. Jimena is going to fill us in on all of that. And finally, in our last segment, like Nick said, a ring doorbell at, at the root cause of all this, a suspension for a public figure for an inappropriate relationship at work. More on this story in our last segment. First, I say hello to Nick Saveri. Nick, how are you doing? We were talking about something off air. I'm going to bring it on in a second. But first, I want to find out how you are doing, my friend. How's everything? I'm good, Mike. I know I tend to sound older <laughs> when I give a rundown of how things are going as I leave with the weather, right? Oh, always. Uh, um, of course. So, yeah, no, I mean, Easton is getting beautiful. We've got you know fall coming in. Colors are starting. My kids are both getting geeked up about Halloween. So now we're already talking about Halloween costumes and oh, yeah. you know, all that good stuff, of course. And trying to delay getting candy in this house as much as humanly possible. Because like all parents, you get the candy way too early because it's available, however you get it. And it just lingers around the home. And you're like, okay, so what portion is for the kids? And what portion am I going to you know, nibble on during the Monday night football 
game. So we're trying to be disciplined about it. And a little 80-20 split there, yeah. Oh, indeed, indeed. <laughs> but how about you all in down in Florida? I, I'm good. You mentioned Halloween. It's funny enough, I just bought some stuff for for my uh, my daughter there. My oldest was, we, there's a Halloween store literally around the corner from us and saw that, you know, prop up recently as it replaced the Michaels. These, these stores always pop up. They pop up for like three months. They make tons of money. Nothing is returnable. So I had to buy her something from there. It's not returnable. She probably will get over in a week because uh, Halloween's not for another five weeks. But everything's good. I, I wanted to bring over something to you because you and I were laughing about this before we started recording this show. We've gotten feedback. And I like to bring up fan feedback because not only does it give some validity into what you and I are doing, uh, you know, justification, if you will, for what you and I are doing. And we appreciate all the feedback we get from people, good, bad, or indifferent. But on two different things, I want to get your takeaways on this because somebody wrote into the show about the Governor DeSantis migrant flights. And they said, listen, call me crazy. While I disagree with the governors of Texas and Florida, they did shine a light on the fact that we need better protocols, support, and funding for migration. Uh, The person put, I'm not a close the border guy, but the numbers coming into and I, I guess they live in New York, uh, the, into New York City daily shows we need a better organized system to welcome folks and get them situated. Um, well, I, in my retort, because I tend to respond to the emails, can we please talk podcast at gmail.com if you want to email us something like this listener wrote in. My response is, you know, uh, there's two ways to skin a cat. Okay. Like, and the way he chose to skin it was, was terrible, right? It was straight hatchet job. Um, you don't need to do that with, the type of disinformation that they gave these migrants in terms of handing them pamphlets, uh, manipulating them from one state in Texas, flying them to another state in Florida, and then flying them ultimately to a vacation spot where nobody is around. Nobody speaks the languages. When they got off, they were promised things like you heard Rachel Self and a few episodes ago, we played a clip from the immigration attorney there. So like, uh, I agree about spotlighting it and maybe Democrats need to start saying, hey, we do have an issue here, right? Just just on the sheer numbers that keep coming in, this year is the most. The problem is, is Republicans tend to water down the message by saying, look at all these drugs pouring in. And then they point to seizure numbers. Uh, seizure means that it was confiscated. It was taken away. So that means it's working, the system. So like, it's a mess. And then uh, let me get your quick takeaways on that, though, Nick, before we get into our first segment, because people are writing in about the DeSantis stuff. And and obviously, in our next segment, you're going to hear from Jimena Bustillo about uh, how that affected her workday the other day as, as a migrant flight didn't happen. But ultimate takeaways take on what that that uh, fan wrote in. Yeah, I, I think it's a little irresponsible. Um, you there is a happy medium between having more sound border policy and maintaining um or ba- basically better you know border control like that can be that can be possible and no a wall is not the answer but on the other side of it to say that what the governors have done is to draw attention to the problem is missing the point of those actions which isn't to draw attention to the problem it's to try to go after liberals and democrats it's right. to try it's to try to besmirch or try to say, well, this is actually something liberals don't care about. We talked, um, you know, I think about the um, reverse freedom rides, obviously, right? Like conservatives, this is the move that they like to make. Now, Mike, you and I talk often about the the Latino vote. Um, it's one, it's the most burgeoning ethnic group in America. Republicans tend to do a better job, actually. Numbers tell you this about courting Latinos. But these actions 
tell us how willingly they're they're able to dismiss Latinos, some governors, Republican governors, for the simple fact about citizenship at a time when they can they can be on a road to, to becoming citizens, but the willingness to cast them aside, but then at the same time say, well, we also you know support you all as well. It's it's hard to reconcile, but I don't agree in any way that what's being done brings to light that there's a problem. What it says is you have conservatives who have a very inhumane tre- for plan for the treatment of those who happen to who come across the border. It's right. it's simply it's simply inhumane. It doesn't call attention to anything except really an ego trip by DeSantis uh, and Governor Abbott. Not to mention the fact that remember, folks, you know, the reason we know so much about what happened with in Martha's Vineyard through Governor DeSantis is because he sent media. He sent a camera crew doing this. What do you think that was for? That wasn't to call attention to the fact that you know we have more and more people coming in. Not to mention that they weren't even from Florida to begin with. So that's just a look. That's just look at me. That's all that is. So yeah. no, I don't agree with the listener at all. And I, but nevertheless, I always appreciate a always. person's op- opinion. And you know, while I don't agree, I'm willing to hear it. You know, and thank you again for emailing the show. And you can always do that. Can we please talk podcasts at gmail.com. Right. But yeah, I don't agree. No, I, I there was a clip I sent you, Carrie Cordero. She's like a CNN legal analyst, I believe. And Scott Jennings, uh, former speechwriter for George W. Bush, were having this discussion. Uh, and the difference is, is like these folks are legal. These folks are waiting, whatever it is, trial wise, right? That Rachel Self mentioned it in the clip that we played a few episodes back that you could check out where we had Patrick Svitek from the Texas Tribune talking about some of the actions of Governor Abbott. And it was these folks have hearings the next day. Now they're in Martha's Vineyard with no like Martha's Vineyard is not near anything. There's no major airport there. Like this was a private flight that had to be chartered to get these people over there. So like, again, drawing, you can draw attention to something differently, like you drawing attention to a fire, but, you, you know, by lighting a match and then throwing it into grass is not I don't, I don't think that that's the way that's the way to draw attention to it. I mean, I don't know even that's know a really that good analogy, analogy, actually. I don't even know if that's a good analogy. But listen, we got other fan feedback that I wanted to uh, share, but we're going to get into that in our next episode. So t- t- our Friday episode will feature that. But first, for this episode, let's get into our first segment, Nick, because I mentioned it before. If you missed it last week, uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy took the Republican legislative roadmap to suburban Pittsburgh. They had a commitment to America. Uh, I want to say it was like a town hall. Uh, and he was flanked there by, obviously, Steve Scalise and Elise Stefanik. You know how I feel about Elise Stefanik here on this program, if you haven't heard about that. But they had this uh, commitment to America, which you can check out on uh, rep- republicanleader.gov backslash commitment. And it's a plan, a four-step plan that's going to make the economy strong, the nation safe, a future that's built on freedom, and a government that's accountable. It's a lot of talking points, buzzwords. Let's hear some real action, and let's hear a little bit uh, from this town hall. We've spent the last year and a half, all the Republican members in conference, going throughout the country listening, listening to the challenges, fighting what the Democrats have been doing. And we want to roll it out to you, to the entire country, to know exactly what we will do if you would trust us and give the, us the ability to take a new direction for this country. And as we went across this country listening, we heard the same thing, kitchen table, to dining room table, to inside the factory. Can I afford it? 
Can I afford to fill up my tank? Can I afford the food, the milk? There's not just one direction that's far left, that's big government socialism, that's wrecking this great country. There is a better way. The commitment to America is going to show the country, if you give us a Republican majority in the House, these are the things we will do. We will bring bills to the floor. We will have great debates to solve the problems that Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi created. We will go after the radical leftist prosecutors, DAs, who are refusing to abide by the rule of law and are prioritizing the criminals rather than the law-abiding citizens. In our commitment, we also have a future that's built upon freedom. I am proud to be the newest mom in Congress. I am a mom to my one-year-old, Sam. And I will tell you, moms and dads across this country, they know that parents are the primary stakeholders in their kids' education, which is why we will pass a Parents' Bill of Rights. We're going to get the education take there from the education guy. I, hold on. Before you jump in, I get your takeaways on some of that. That made me laugh for two reasons. One, kitchen table, dining room table, pool table, coffee table. Kevin McCarthy's around every table known to man. Uh, the second one was nobody clapped for Elise Stefanik being a new mom, like not even one person <laughs> gave a clap. I mean, she just mentioned she's the new mom, a one-year-old, like not one person clapped, not one person clapped in a, in a room that is designed for them, right? This is their soundboard, right? These are the people that have voted for them or at least have an R next to their name and designation. Um, let me get some of your takeaways real quick, Nick. Uh, and before you do that, the, much of the agenda that they talked about uh, this is according to NPR, like support for tax cuts, reduction in government spending. Um, those are some of the things that were highlighted. And, and you could check out, you know, over on YouTube, the commitment to America, the entirety of this, if you want to watch that. Um, but some of the other stuff that they touched on in this town hall was uh, pledging support for legislation to ensure that only women can compete in women's sports. Obviously a knock or at least a slight to the LGBTQ community. Uh, Republicans also broadly pledged to advance federal legislation to restrict abortion access, kind of going against what they said to send it back to the states, right? And then uh, also opposing any legislation to restrict gun rights, pledging to safeguard the Second Amendment, the old go-to, right, Nick? The old go-to. Um, let me get some of your takeaways real quick, though. First thing, first on the Elise Stefanik education part of this, because your well-versed in education and then the entirety of commitment to America and their plans. Yeah. It's always funny that uh, we want to be, we find ourselves as parents. Um, the perception seems to be that, you know, we're well, we know apparently what's best for our kids educationally. Uh, meanwhile, we'll go into a car to see a car mechanic. They'll tell us we need an oil change. Sure thing. We believe them. We don't question them. Right. For some reason, doctors and teachers, <laughs> you know, we're getting more comfortable with saying, I know more than you. And what I would say to any to any parent that feels that they should have the right to make decisions of their child, um, I applaud that. And I would say, then good luck with homeschooling. That's, I mean, that's that's the most sensible thing here. Like, it's not about you being able to grab your angry little mob, and it is little. Numbers tell us that this this animus is not something that the majority of uh, school districts and parents in school districts believe. Um, it's just your your own hateful rhetoric. If you want to ban books, if you want to go ahead and engage in things that a portion of Germans did in the 1930s, that's cool. Do you. But just do it from home. 
if you don't want your children to read books by Judy Bloom or you know books by you know all these different authors, then that's all right. You can absolutely you reserve the right as a parent. See, Mike, I do believe in school choice in this case. Right. Your, the choice you have is to pull your child out of school and then figure out homeschooling. There's tons of great programs. That's great. Uh, for you to then say that we, you know, parents have a right to make these decisions. You're not the expert. You're simply not. And if we're going to apply the idea that as a parent, I have the right to call these shots, then I want to see you show up, you know, at a policeman at a policeman's board. I want to see the same attitude show up, you know, when it comes to fighting fires. Go before your local fi- you know, fire chief and say, "Well, I deserve to have the right to decide what's good for me." Okay, cool. You you, you can go ahead and you know handle the extinguisher and drive the truck then. Real, real quick, uh, let me just jump in on that. I, I totally agree with you. And, and now I'm starting to think to light of times where my parents had maybe a parent-teacher conference or even one that I just had recently with uh, my daughter's teacher. And again, she's in you know pre-K three. So it, it's nothing crazy going on right now, right? We're Lear- learning letters and things like that. Um, I don't see any way that I would ever interject myself into curriculum, lesson planning, I know tons of people that are teachers. My wife's mother is a teacher here in Miami-Dade County. Like, they go to school for this. They 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 work on this. You've been a teacher. You work with a company now that does instructional coaching around, you know, different organizations and school districts. Like, wh- I'm not going to interject myself in that, Nick. I know I know sports, and I was a former news producer. I know how to do news. Right? Like, why would I interject myself into my kid? Now, again, if my kid brings me something and has a question historical context around something, math problems, something like that. Yeah, helping. But um, the pushback, the you should challenge this, you should do that. Why would I ever go confront the teacher? I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm me. It's me. I'm different. You said the numbers bear don't bear out that people are doing this type of thing and feel that it's instrumental. Take your kid out. Like you said, homeschool them. You, you want them to learn your way? Homeschool them. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's okay. To, I mean, it's okay to bring questions about curriculum. Listen, I know I've you know been in this field for twenty years now, um, so obviously I come with it from a certain level of, of experience. But to someone who doesn't, you should ask questions. The key has always been the partnership between parents and teachers. If there's a partnership there, I think there's an opportunity for continued support of the student. Um, but to be combative, and again, all this is coming back from what we've seen the last couple of years. You know, pushing the argument against critical race theory, which again is not taught in K twelve settings. Um, you know, th- this is just stemming from twenty twenty. You know, we've had, you know since the murder of George Floyd, you know, we've had a larger, we've had a conversation, the beginnings of one in this country about you know the the role that race plays, and Republicans use that as the ammunition to say, well, by having this conversation in our schools, you know, I'm not comfortable with it. Well, no shit, you're not comfortable with it. So again, if that's the part you don't want to be, you don't want to be involved in, then find ways to pull your child out. Don't have them in, you know, as part of social studies education. Don't have them read certain books. But you, the parent, do not have the right as the as the person without any experience in this field to start dictating what should be happening in the classrooms. Because again, if you were going to start doing that, then I want to see that show up in other places. Right. I really want to see this happening in the police precincts. I want to see this happening in other areas of Congress, but it just doesn't. It just seems to be that education and medicine to some extent is seeing this weird Burger King is ization of um, of the way things way. should be. And it's not right. your way right away. You don't have the experience to so sit down and shut up on that one. Right. Um, regarding the, the, the commitment to uh, America. America, 
Yeah. Um, first off, I would direct all of you, if you want to really read more about it, go to republicanleader.gov. Um, that's McCarthy's website that just outlines it. My couple things that stand out here, you know, first, you know, the section that talks about the Republican commitment to a strong economy, which is funny because historically when the economy tanks, usually it's because of Republicans, Republicans and president. That's okay. Cool. Um, you know, one of the factoids that comes here is, you know, nine total government spending has increased by over nine trillion since February, 2021. Representative McCarthy, something was going on in February 2021. Mike, I, I forget what was happening at that time. I know yeah. it was some kind of maybe a global health crisis, possibly. Yeah, I, I think we're just picking, choosing our data. I think one of the more laughable ones is something about American energy. You know, when it talks about um, you know reducing gas prices, you know, what I don't see here it says things like 20 percent electricity prices are up 20 percent since Biden took office. You know, ten times while the Biden administration canceled leases and discouraged oil and gas production on day one, President Trump and Obama each approved ten times as many leases during the same period of their presidencies. You know, what I don't hear about alternative energy. What are we doing? <laughs> it's we've got solar power. We have hybrid cars. The Republican plan has nothing. So we're not going to even throw a bone to, to car pr producers to say, hey, let's continue doing this. There's no plan here. It's just about getting gas back up. The dependency on on fossil fuel, like the Republicans, though, can't think of a world like the rest of the planet that has recognized the opportunity for for alternative energy. It does exist. We have the technology. Shout out to Elon Musk. Um, but my favorite one, though, has to be the, this, this title here, A Future That's Built on Freedom. Mm -hmm. So let me get this straight. Republicans suddenly believe in freedom, but you don't find that same freedom to be felt or needed to be when we're starting to ban books, when we're telling women that you don't have the right to have an abortion. When we're telling states, you don't have the right to ban guns. Where in the world is this freedom here? And as I see this, this area of freedom comes in three areas, education, health, and big tech. Um, and here comes the big tech thing again. Folks, if you're a conservative and you have issues with big tech, Mike, my, my partner, my friend of 20 years has a very simple solution. Start your own thing. Or delete the app. Yeah. That's all you got to do. He just one, walk away. It's he only one of two things. It's you only one it of two down. things. Yes, yeah. Mike. Go ahead. No, no, I'm saying it's only one of two things that you can do. You, you're free to start your own thing. You can work with Amazon to get hosting services and things like that. Like start your own thing. Okay. You can't, it's not your house. It's not your house. <laughs> start your own thing. I, I go mean, back and listen to that episode. True. Clearly, you mean you can hop on Truth Social. Oh, wait a minute. The value of Truth Social keeps dropping. So it's, uh, that may not last very long. I want to give Truth um, Social too much uh, airtime here. But uh, no, exactly. But yeah, no, this is, this is comical as I read it. But I think it's really insulting that the Republicans are going to use the word freedom when we're seeing so many pieces of evidence that say this is the party that at this moment doesn't support freedom. Or it does in the things that matters to them, but in reverse, um, that's not quite the case. And we've seen that very much with what's happening in the fallout, Roe versus Wade, um, and states just banding together to to basically restrict a woman's right to choose. If if a woman doesn't if a woman does not have the freedom to choose, your party is not simply is not built on the premise of freedom. One thing I did uh, take away, not from the entire uh, town hall, I was not listening to that. Um, but one thing I did take away was that Republicans, especially uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy mentioned, they will conduct rigorous oversight and require the White House to answer for its incompetence at home and abroad. Specifically, they're going to plan to hold hearings on the origins of coronavirus, 
we've seen the exchanges between Senator Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci and how ridiculous an obstetrician talking to somebody well-versed in epidemiology, um, the U.S. withdrawal of Afghanistan, which, you know, to some extent, I understand that. And we've lost some Marines, obviously, and everything that happened there and the explosion in Kabul. Uh, however, the people leading it, how disingenuous is it or genuine? And then the Justice Department's investigation into former President Trump and the alleged illegal possession of classified documents. It's not alleged. The documents were there. They were taking photos of. It's not alleged. He he had it there. Like the judge signed off on probable cause and those documents were retrieved. You can't allege something if I'm holding it in my hand and I got it from your house. Like I this is what I'm talking about. Like this disingenuousness and these these use of buzzwords and things like that. You lose me on some of that stuff. If if they had an actual plan that had some policy around it, like you mentioned, if you go to the site and everybody can go check it out for themselves, Republican Republicanleader.gov backslash commitment. And just trying to see some things that are policy driven that actually outline this stuff. Check that out and email us at can we please talk podcast at gmail.com if you have, you know, a comment or a question about it. One more for the talented Mr. Savary. He's raising his hand here like a patient third grader. <laughs> yeah. Give me, give me, what, give me some. What last fact I got to bring here. This is over at the um, this is under the section of uh, freedom, specifically around the area of health. This is another factoid. Mm -hmm. U.S. life expectancy has decreased for two straight years, representing the biggest drop since 1943. Folks, what in the hell have we been dealing with for the last two years that potentially could reduce life expectancy? Could it be a global health, ep <laughs> a global health epidemic that Republicans, not all, but some were very vocal about not de denying its existence and being more concerned about its origins and it actually its impact in this country led by a Republican president who couldn't even be smart enough to engage in the Defense Production Act to get masks and other life-saving materials put out there. So now we're going to just say, and it's funny because it doesn't even say anything about why, just life expectancy has decreased for two straight years. I Take a guess as to why that is the case. Right, right. You know, we should get somebody on expert-wise that... Um, Maybe he's written a book. I know Fareed Zakaria wrote one about the pandemic. And I forget looking at the lens of how it affected different countries, but just somebody that kind of looked at the responses here, because there's been issues, Democratic and Republican led governors of different states, mayors of different cities that haven't followed their governors, like just the totality of the way the pandemic was handled. Just, just the responses I get in Florida from people that are like, oh, you lived in New York. Oh, it must have been bad. And it's like, as if, you know, it was I am legend and we were on the streets and I was walking my dog and there was nobody <laughs> around. Like, it wasn't that bad, but it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't far off, but it wasn't that bad in the early days, not later on. So maybe maybe one day we'll do something on that uh, in our next segment. We got to go to the break in our next segment. Jimena Ustiel, the NPR politics reporter. She's going to join us. She does a fantastic job covering everything down in D.C. related to the White House. Jimena, after the break. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your home. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Owners or renter's insurance, along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. The presenting sponsor of this episode of Can We Please Talk is KitCaster. Let me ask you a question out there, listeners. How many times have you listened to Nick and I speak on a topic or have a guest on and you say, I could do that. I could be a guest on a podcast or I could even host my own podcast. And did you know that podcasts are a great way to grow your own personal and business brand voice? We all want to feel connected to brands we buy from. And what better way to humanize a brand than through sharing your story on a podcast? You can do that now with KidCaster. It's a podcast booking agency that specializes in developing real human connections through podcast appearances. So if you're an expert in your field, you've got a unique story to share or an interesting point of view, it's time to explore the world of podcasting with KitCaster. You can expect a completely customized concierge service from their staff of communication experts. I've worked with them in the past. We booked guests through KitCaster. Thank you and shout out to Mallory and the team out there for helping us. KitCaster is a secret weapon in podcasting for business, folks. I'm telling you right now, and your audience is out there. They're waiting to hear from you. So what are you waiting for? All you got to do right now is go to kitcaster.com backslash CWPT, the initials of this program, to apply for a special offer for friends of this show. If you don't feel like typing in that URL and you're in our show notes right now, you can click on the link and it takes you right there. Fill out that form and get started with the good folks over at Kitcaster today. All right, Jimena Bustillo is joining us from NPR. She's a politics reporter over there covering everything with the White House. She was just in Delaware waiting for these migrant flight that did not happen. We're going to talk to her about all of that. But Jimena, Mike Leon, Nick Saveri, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Jimena, you know, I follow you on social media now. So a shout out to being friends of the show. Uh, and, and the reason I bring that up is because I saw you posted a photo, we were talking about this off air, uh, of you waiting around in Delaware uh, for a migrant flight that was supposed to happen. In our last episode, maybe a couple episodes ago, uh, we've been covering the, the flights from uh, from Florida, Governor DeSantis sending migrants up to Martha's Vineyard, and obviously what's happening in Texas with Governor Abbott busing migrants, uh, a different form of transportation, to different places. Can you take our audience a little bit into... What happened when you went to Delaware to cover this supposed flight? And then when I, on the flip side, I want to ask you a question about overall, like the political theater around all of this. But first, let me get your takeaways of, of what happened in Delaware. Yeah, absolutely. So to clarify just kind of how this all originated is the flight that had flown from Texas to Martha's Vineyard. Someone had pointed out on Twitter that that same flight was leaving San Antonio again and was headed to Delaware. And so the inference was that 
perhaps it was carrying migrants again and that they would potentially be taken to Biden's house, which would line up with a pattern of how some migrants have been dropped off at Vice President Kamala Harris's house um, and other very targeted specific locations. Uh, I will say that this whole time there was not necessarily any confirmation that there were even migrants on board. This was all a hypothesis. Um, so at about eight o'clock, 830 in the morning, I got a call from my boss that, you know, kind of told me this, that we were sending some reporters, me, someone from the Nationals team, a uh, photographer out to Delaware, Georgetown, Delaware, really small town, about 7,000 people, 42% Latino, uh, a lot of, you know, agriculture and, and poultry packing plant kind of community. So I was supposed to get there by 1.30. That is when the flight was supposed to land. So it was a bit of a scramble to find a rental car. There also, there's a shortage of those I discovered. And so finding one was difficult, but managed to get a minivan and went all the way to Delaware. When I got there, we were told um, that due to like just looking at flight trackers, the flight was now no longer scheduled to get to Delaware until about 3.30. Um, and as the day went on, we all noticed that that was either getting pushed forward and then eventually the flight got completely redirected to New Jersey, which is where it, it ended up going. So the flight ended up making a pit stop in Nashville from Texas to Nashville, and then it went straight to New Jersey. Um, it was definitely one of the weirdest holding patterns I think I've ever been in, you know, in my journal short journalism career, because we didn't know when this plane was coming. We didn't know who was on it. We didn't know what to expect. Um, there was chatter that maybe the plane would redirect in the middle of the air. And so even if it was allegedly going to New Jersey, we still had to wait for it to actually land in New Jersey and for people to confirm who was on the plane and who was not. Um, so while we were waiting for that, it was confirmed that the flight was crew only, which means that it was empty. Um, so a lot of us, you know, spent our day waiting for a flight that ended up being empty, uh, which, you know, again, there was never a confirmation that there were migrants on this flight. It was a hypothesis that this was the same plane that had been to Martha's Vineyard that was making a very similar trip. Okay. So, you know, first off, uh, sorry for everything that happened there in terms of the snafu and waiting on this, but now I just, I had a different question, but now if I was in your shoes, I was once upon a time working as a PA and writer and covering breaking news and stuff like that for Fox. Um, I would be livid, right? Because of the political stunt of all of this, right? And and we're seeing this play out now with two different governors invoking this and, and, and these type of measures that they're doing to migrants. You and I both happen to be Hispanic, Jimena. Uh, my family came here from Cuba in 59. So I, I'm a little bit um, upset about the treatment of some of these migrants, the way they're being treated and used as political pawns. Uh, I want to get your takeaways overall, though, about the way this is playing out right now, because it seems like on the surface, right, there's a racial undertone to this. But then there's also, is any of this illegal? What are you hearing from your colleagues who are covering this? We're seeing two governors do this and really uh, kind of flaunt, you know, uh, or break the conventional norms of whatever there may be legality wise in their states. And Governor DeSantis is doing it and an extreme measure, grabbing migrants that are not even in his state, redirecting them to another place and then sending them somewhere else. 
to a Democratic-led city. What, what do you make of all of this? And what are you hearing chatter-wise from some of your colleagues about the legalities around all of this? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the million-dollar question, right? Whether or not this can be like classified as trafficking or not, what kind of trafficking, if so. I mean, that there are a lot of legal questions there. The White House has been very clear over and over again that when it comes to the legal aspect of it, they are not getting involved. They are leaving that up to the Justice Department. Um, so far, I don't believe the Justice Department has come to a conclusion or has made any moves one way or another. We did see out of the Martha's Vineyard group that there is now a class action lawsuit filed against Ron DeSantis. And so there are a lot of questions that remain about you know, what were these migrants told? What were they promised? Um, who encouraged them to go to one place or another? Um, certain waivers that they may or may not have been asked to sign. Um, some of those have been posted online. And, you know, I even saw that there there's one that's in English and then below in Spanish. And the Spanish translation of it isn't even a complete translation of the top English version. So there's really a lot of information kind of still floating around and a lot to decipher before this can be decided over whether or not this is legal or, or not and what kind of state laws or federal laws are being violated. Um, but really, it seems like it's going to land in the courts. Hey, man, on the subject of transportation, you know, thinking most recently about the rail worker strike uh, that had been averted last week that you were covering you know, take us through, you know, we know a little bit of the cause for the strike, obviously. Um, but in the end, with the settlement that was arrived, did that reach the goals of the strikers? Um, does it put that conversation in a long term better position between labor and management? Uh, or is this more of a short term solution and these labor issues are going to continue? For sure. I mean, as we know, a deal was reached, you know, at 2 a.m., 4 a.m., like really, really early in the morning uh, last week. But these unions still have to vote, right? They still have to vote to ratify that contract that is, you know, that was negotiated. And that is a process that can take a couple weeks, if not a couple months, you know, before everyone has gone through and, and each individual union has voted. There are 12 unions involved here. So for now, the like so-called like cooling off period where they, you know, aren't striking has been extended. So there will not be any supply chain snags to the level that we almost reached um, on Friday, which would have been very catastrophic uh, for everyone involved. But you know, there are workers that are still picketing, that still want to see more, that still, you know, want things in the contract that maybe they didn't get out of the final negotiation. So it seems like things are yet to be seen, but a crisis was averted. That's great to hear. Um, and I think that story kind of flew under the radar, too. Uh, I'm glad you were covering that. Uh, you could check out that that article on NPR.org. Um, Jimena, it's funny, you just mentioned the White House previously, so I wanted to ask you this in the context, because back in July, I remember you wrote a piece uh, after President Biden did his first public outing since he tested negative. Uh, and he was touting, you know, his response to COVID. Uh, but since then, he did a recent interview with 60 Minutes. And the soundbite that's making the rounds now is that the pandemic is over, right? And we're seeing a lot of pushback from doctors, not Twitter doctors, real doctors. Uh, and you're seeing the the like of, of Democratic folks that are really upset at President Biden kind of saying this. I think the White House has tried to kind of walk back the comments. What do you make of the president making those comments insensitive or not? What is the White House saying? And And was that what he meant or was it more of like we're in a different spot than where we were in 2020 with vaccination rates and deaths, you know, being down? 
Yeah, for sure. No, that's a really good question. And it's definitely been a big talk of the town, right? Especially because many people do consider that we are still in the middle of a pandemic. Um, you know, death rates are still above 300 a day or, uh, you know, like they're still very high. So one thing that I've heard a lot is, you know, the full quote is that the pandemic is over. There's still a lot of work to be done on COVID. There's still a lot of work to be done. Like we're basically not out of the woods yet. Um, and I think, you know, the administration is really pushing this image that even if like we're not at where we were in March 2020, there are, you know, still things that need to be done. There is the emergency health declaration that's set to expire next month. Um, many folks have told me that they are not expecting that to expire. They're expecting that to be extended. Um, whether or not it does, again, still remains to be seen. Um, but there are a lot of things attached to that uh, emergency order. And so a lot of eyes are on, on that change. And then on the subject of the White House, Recently, we've seen climate change policy pass, uh, but at the same time, we've also seen the Supreme Court that's ruled against the EPA in terms of its involvement at the state level. The White House, from your reporting, is taking a more of an active role with this climate change initiative. There's been a change in leadership, and it seems your reporting also indicated that traditionally, when an initiative or a bill gets signed into law, usually that's then the institutionalization of that then gets handed down to respective offices. Um, in this case, the White House is taking a, a more of an aggressive approach from your reporting. Can you just take us through what seems a little different about how the White House wants to manage this climate change initiative? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously the um, the in Inflation Reduction Act passed, and that was a big win for folks that wanted to see something like Build Back Better be passed with climate and energy provisions attached to it and not it be a standalone health care bill or a standalone tax bill or anything like that. Now, you're right in the sense that usually when these laws are passed, then it immediately gets delegated to the federal agencies. And then those agencies take the money or the directives and kind of do what it is that Congress mandated them to do. Now, what we've seen the Biden administration do is appoint two specific people, and they're not strangers. They are known to be in, in the climate space and in the energy and environment space. And from my talking with groups and folks in that space, they do feel very confident that there will be a little bit more oversight in terms of how these provisions get implemented, how this money gets delegated out with the hope that things won't just stall and get stuck in bureaucracy. So we'll see We'll see if that's the way that that plays out. But so far, I mean, the reviews have not necessarily been, been negative or concerning. Jimena, you know what I love about a lot of the stuff that you cover? It's a multi-range of topics. Uh, you can see everything that we're hitting on here from the transit strike wow. to the migrants' uh, flight. Uh, I want to hit on another thing that you wrote about because we're approaching the fall now. Uh, I think we're already in the fall. Uh, yeah. And the January 6th committee is about to reconvene. You wrote an article back uh, it, towards the end of the summer in, in late July about House Democrats calling for a new inspector general in the Secret Service text investigation. Um, well, first off, where is that? I, mean, I think I feel like that fell off the face of the earth. That was making the rounds for for weeks. It is is the news cycle just so fast with everything that's happening with relation to the January 6th investigation that that just kind of dropped off? And then where are we right now with the January 6th committee about to reconvene and, and what's expected for their next hearings? 
Yeah, no, the really great questions. I mean, we did just come out of August recess where all the lawmakers and a lot of reporters just checked out for the month. So, you know, it might seem like it's been a really long time since we picked this up, um, but there will be a hearing next Wednesday at 1 p.m. that has been announced and scheduled. Witnesses and theme are kind of yet to be determined, but this will be the next of what has been a series of hearings, really looking at what happened behind the scenes of the January 6th attack. Now, in terms of what to expect moving forward, Chairman Benny Thompson has said that they're still expecting to publish some sort of a report. Uh, originally, that report was expected to come in September. Um, over time, even their own timeline for how many hearings they were expecting to hold has just gotten longer and longer. And so they still say that they want to do some sort of report in the fall at some point. But again, it's not really known what that report will include, whether it'll just be recommendations, whether it will be a summary, whether it will be total findings. Um, but it seems like there will be more conversations and even more hearings uh, into the end of the year. Hey, man, with the remaining weeks going into the midterms, what's the sense that you're having about the key messages and the primary focus of the White House? We just talked about climate change a moment ago uh, and really a victory lap you know, about bills getting passed. Mm -hmm. What's your sense, though, as we reach the home stretch of what points the White House wants to hammer to the to the American public? For sure. Top of mind, I think, for Democrats is definitely the overturning of Roe v. Wade. They have really been hammering in, you know, getting out to vote that Roe is on the ballot. And that has been one of the main talking points for Democrats. At the same time, though, we are you know, still gauging how that is affecting the electorate. There are some reports and some polls and, and some data that shows that, for example, women in some areas are beginning to register to vote at, you know, more numbers, but whether or not they turn out is also a completely different question. At the same time, the idea of inflation, rising prices, rising food prices is absolutely top of mind for voters. That's one of the reasons the railroad strike that we were talking about earlier is was such a big deal and also such a double edged sword for the Biden administration because they needed to you know, alleviate and appease workers while also avoiding what could have been a really big catastrophic event um, that would have super shot prices. Jimena, uh, tell us a little bit about the hunger conference that's happening. Uh, it's in D.C., correct? Yes, it's going to be hosted in D.C. Uh, next Wednesday also. So same day as the January 6th hearing, very busy day in Washington. First conference of its kind hosted by a president in 50 years. The last one was hosted in 1969 by Richard Nixon. And what a lot of people don't know is that programs like SNAP and WIC, you know, that are very, very important to many families, including a lot of families of color that are disproportionately affected by hunger and insecurity rates, um, came out of that conference and were created in that conference and workshopped in that conference. And so a lot of folks are really hoping that whatever comes out of the Biden administration will be as significant and as monumental. It is a little bit of a smaller conference. It's only one day instead of three, like the Nixon one was. But Biden has the goal of ending hunger in America by 2030. And so a lot of eyes are on, you know, what does that look like, especially coming out of a pandemic where, you know, diet related diseases were directly linked to, you know, being hit with COVID harder, or having more extreme symptoms and, and even death. And so there's a lot of focus on that type of food, nutrition and health, especially in light of the pandemic. If people want to find out more information about the Hunger Conference, where where would you recommend that they go to check that out? 
Yeah, the White House does have a website and it's largely led by um, Health and Human Services uh, as well as USDA, but also I'm reporting on it left and right. So if you follow me on Twitter, you'll probably see a lot about the Hunger Conference in the coming days. There you go. Follow Jimena on Twitter and on Instagram. You can check out all of her fantastic work over on NPR.org. And I'm right now, personal message to you, Governor DeSantis, how dare you? make this young lady, try to find a rental car, drive up to Delaware. This is not her talking. This is Mike Leon talking now. How dare you do all of that? Uh, you do fantastic work, Jimena, and everybody over at NPR. So appreciate you hopping on the podcast today. Continued success to you. And we will see you in D.C. next month for our live show. Excited to meet you in person. Yeah, very excited. Nick, as always, the presenting sponsor of Can We Please Talk is Fresh Roasted Coffee since 2009. This Pennsylvania-based company has been giving out the good stuff in terms of coffee, roasted coffee, coffee pots, teapots, tea bags, merchandise, and more. Freshroastedcoffee.com or click the link in our show notes for a discount. But first, hear from the man who knows coffee better than anybody on this two-man panel, Nick Saveri. Fresh Roasted Coffee. Give the people a reason to go to that URL, to go to that website. Go now, folks. <laughs> You got you got flavored coffee. You've got single origin coffee. You know, FreshRoastedCoffee.com provides both opportunities, and depending on whichever way you are, you are with your morning Java, they've got your options. As Mike mentioned, tea. If you're a tea drinker, folks. If you are a caffeine consumer, Fresh Roasted Coffee is the place for you. They also give you an opportunity to learn about their products. When you get there, take the quick quiz, only a couple of questions, you'll find out what coffee makes sense for you. And then it's very easy to buy it. In addition, if you brew your coffee a couple of different ways, Mike's a Keurig guy, I'm a French press person. You know, if you're a Chemex person, like I've been as well, there's so many different ways you can learn how to make really good coffee. So if you save yourself a trip at the coffee shop, this place has got it for you. Freshroastedcoffee.com is definitely the place to go to fill all your coffee needs. That's right. And, and if you click on our show notes right now, you'll see a link to freshroastedcoffee.com. You got to click on that link and you're going to get a special discount promo code applied at checkout. Head to that link in our show notes right now and get in on some of this delicious tasting coffee today. All right. Our thank yous there to Jimena Bustillo. Check out all of her work at npr.org. We will see her in DC. I'm excited to See Jimena and October 27th, like Nick and I have mentioned, City Tap House, come on down. It's a Thursday night, nice little happy hour between 5 to 8 p.m. now it is. Uh, we will be recording our live show there. Jimena will be one of the people featured on the panel, a couple journalists, uh, a couple former government officials, and a sitting member of Congress all on the program. If you want to come on down to City Tap House, tickets are free. You can come on down. And all we ask is that you eat, you drink, and you enjoy um, let's get into our final segment, Nick, here. I teased it at the beginning of all of this, uh, and you talked about a ring doorbell that's involved. If you don't know about all of this, obviously the Boston Celtics have been making news because they suspended their coach, Ime Udoka, for the 2022-2023 season, effective immediately. Now you're wondering, why are they talking about a Boston Celtics, an NBA franchise, uh, uh, because Mike's a Knicks fan and maybe he hates the Celtics. That's not it. Uh, basically, there was a violation of team policies in this announcement. And this story reverberated because from TMZ to ESPN and everything in between started covering this. Because if you don't know, Emil Doka is married to Nia Long, right? Throughout the NBA finals where the Celtics played this past 
uh, season against the Warriors, they kept showing his wife, Nia Long, obviously the actress who's been in a bunch of different movies and television shows from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air to Friday, respectively. And obviously, it's a big scandal that has started to dominate uh, the sports world because of the inappropriate relationship that was potentially had. At the root cause, the Celtics found out about something in terms of a potential violation, HR policy violation of an inappropriate relationship between Udoka and somebody else that worked for the organization. I want you to take a listen to the team president uh, here commenting on how this investigation came to be. As you know, Ime Udoka has been suspended for the upcoming season for breaking team rules. For privacy reasons, I won't be able to offer many additional facts or circumstances around what occurred and why the suspension uh, is in place. As soon as we learned there was a potential situation, we immediately brought in a respected law firm to conduct a thorough investigation uh, and impartial investigation. And they took some time. And we actually concluded that investigation with a report uh, two days ago. The suspension is for a season through June 30th, and uh, we will make a determination at a later time uh, about EMA's future uh, with us, and uh, that'll be discussed another time and has not been decided. No one else in the organization besides EMA Udoka is facing any penalty or reprimand, or even including the, the, the woman involved, or is that just private? It, 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 it probably, thank you, Gary, for asking, it probably, I was probably going to refer to the notes on that one and say it's private, but no, nobody else is facing penalty or reprimand. So you heard a little bit there of the press conference. There's a couple of things running through my mind here and the reason why we wanted to cover it on this show. The first thing is, is that, um, and you know, I hate playing that race card, Nick, you know, I hate it, but we have an African-American coach here of a prominent NBA franchise violating morality, Mor morality clause. He took vows with his wife and he cheated on his wife, right? Uh, and it's dominating the headlines when we have a former athlete, prominent athlete in the NFL, who right now, allegedly, through court documents, and in our previous episode, you heard Anna Wolf, uh, the Mississippi Today reporter who broke the story on Brett Favre's, involved Alec in this scheme of uh, siphoning funds, or at least redirecting welfare funds, from uh, the D the Mississippi Health Department to basically build a, a volleyball stadium at the campus of University of Southern Mississippi, and also getting the former governor of the state to um, invest in a company, a pharmaceutical company that was making a fake product, right? Almost $8 million at the recent court filings that potentially Brett Favre is involved in. And there's already six people, and now a seventh that just got sentenced all serving time for all of this. And the next question is, when will Brett Favre potentially have something happen to him uh, from a, a legal standpoint? Um, that has been my frustration and yours as well, that this story has started to dominate uh, the news cycle in terms of this inappropriate relationship and contact. And at the core of it, uh, if I do want to cover this story, which we just played some sound bites and gave you holistically a look at it, the big thing for me is I don't know the HR policies of the Boston Celtics or the organization overall. I don't even know the levels of the relationship. There's speculation across everywhere that a, a, a high up person in finance with the vice president of it. And again, I don't want to do in, innuendos here, but this is from a verified account 
Kevin Frazier, who's a former ESPN anchor that now, obviously, if you watch Entertainment Tonight, he's the host of Entertainment Tonight. Um, he's the one that mentioned that the the way that this person found out about the inappropriate relationship and reported it internally to HR was because of his ring doorbell overhearing the conversations between Udoka and his wife, right? Uh, and that's why you ha- you heard the question there from the reporter asking, how come nothing is happening to the other side of this relationship or is it just him? Um, so I want to talk about this because it speaks to, <clears throat> this is a very visible job. If this happened for any of us right now, none of it's making front page of ESPN, TMZ. It's not being talked about on a CNN segment. None of that's happening. But because it's the face of the Boston Celtics franchise, their coach, one of the most preeminent franchises in all of sports, not just the NBA. Uh, and then his wife, who's an actress, a very well-known actress, who was very visible in the NBA finals on primetime in ABC. Everybody saw their relationship. And now to see this happening and a family potentially being broken up, a divorce potentially maybe down the road, and then another family that was broken up because of this and now a coach suspended for a year, does it merit the attention of somebody stealing $8 million from a welfare fund in Mississippi that was supposed to go to black and brown people, Nick? Um, And then the second part is, for me, is they mentioned it there, um, he's suspended for the year. How are you suspended for the year for doing something morally wrong and not illegal? Like, how do you how do you rehire that person back? This is the Jeffrey Tubin thing, right? Like, how did CNN rehire back Jeffrey Tubin? Like, you did something morally wrong, and it broke also HR policies, which, I mean, <laughs> shouldn't have an HR policy for it. Don't be naked on a Zoom call. It's not that hard. But, like... These are kind of things that, again, without public-facing visibility, these don't come out to light. Should we be covering this? Nick, your takeaways on this situation overall and us talking about the situation overall? You know, well, I mean, it's like everyone else. You know, I've this all unfolded for me at about like 10.50 on Wednesday. You know, saw a tweet from, you know, Adrian Wojnowski at, at ESPN. <clears throat> That had been very cryptic. It just simply said something about Ime Adoka um, and a punishment coming for violation of a team policy. And then over in the next couple of hours, Sham Sharani of uh, The Athletic had reported more specifically what had happened. And then from that moment on, like everyone else, you know, everything had unfolded. Um, there's a lot of questions I have, you know, for one, like you, you know, if if what the, if what happened is to the, it, not if because it did happen clearly. Yeah, the suspension and then you know reevaluating over a year seems like you're kicking this down the curb as opposed to making a decision right now. And it seems like the Celtics may be caught between two competing interests because this coach did take a team that had underperformed for a long time and bring them to within two wins of the NBA Finals. Um, at the same time, this is a person who's engaged in a affair that um, was frowned upon by the organization. Um, at the same time, it is, there's a conflicting, there's something that's interesting here about the fact that Udoka's name has been put out there and rightfully not the woman's name. And it shouldn't, that shouldn't be the case. But what I don't understand is if this is a matter of harassment, if this is in the case that, um, like, this was a consensual relationship. So if Udoka is being suspended, shouldn't the other person be suspended as well? Like, is this a matter of harassment? Is this a power thing where he, outranks her therefore the perception she doesn't have the right to say no or she may lose her job for saying no and that may very well be the case but we don't know 
But what we know is that two people engage in a consensual relationship. <clears throat> That's been confirmed. It was, it was indeed consensual. But one person's being suspended. One person is not. And I'm just struggling with trying to make sense of that. Um, I don't think either name should have been released. Ime's name is kind of hard because right. to say a member of the Celtics and then suddenly we get to media day and then there's no Ime Adoka that you're not going to be able to get by with. Um, so I understand how he's inevitably going to be brought forward. But at the same time, I understand not releasing the name of the woman. I know some people have also brought up that that does seem a little patently unfair. Uh, so I, I, I'm more or less left for questions. I will say one thing that did offend me journalistically was the fact that because we didn't know who the woman was in question, many women who work for the Boston Celtics were basically being identified on social media, pictures right. being thrown out there saying, could she be the one? Um, and women rightfully in the media stepped forward and had said, some had said, you know, this is hard enough of a job to be a woman in sports. Um, this becomes harder when suddenly we're all associated with this action and there's nothing confirmed about it. Um, it really did feel, that really felt unsavory. Like yeah. that, at this point, if the, if the team's not going to release the name, they're not going to release the name. Hounding the team, hounding all these women, and trying to basically put all put the pictures of all these women up there in the hopes that you, you know, lottery ticket your way through this story is wrong. And I think any outlet that did that, um, or anyone who tweeted in that way, should be called out for that. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 disheartened by the fact that we very quickly in a moment, you know, went back to just demonizing all women, you know, in on that team. But then at the same time. Um, I'm left with a lot of questions of what Ime did apparently was wrong, um, yeah. but he's the only one being punished for. It. And I, I'm not again. If this is a matter of sexual harassment, I totally understand it. But this is truly a consensual relationship. Then, then should both people be missing time from the organization? Uh, yeah. And ultimately, why suspension over just firing? This seems like a fireable offense. Go through it at that point. I don't know why the team hesitates. So I'm, yeah, I'm. A lot of things I'm sort of swirling with through this story. And a lot of questions still outstanding. You can go check out the story on ESPN.com. Nick alluded to Adrian Wojnarowski, who who kind of broke the story, and, and Shams obviously following up on it, uh, those two competing guys uh, in the NBA Twitter space. If you don't know both of those reporters, you can check them out on Twitter and all the reporting they've been doing on this. And again, I we brought it over here because it is interesting. It's the workplace uh, dilemma, you know, a lot, this has happened. This happens at a lot of companies. It violates HR stuff. That's great. Never makes national headlines. And then the other part of it, I get the celebrity part of it, right? He's the face of 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 the organization, and Nia Long's a prominent actress. This has salaciousness and juiciness to it, for lack of a better term. But the problem is, is that it's taking away from real things that are happening other in sports, and it dom that didn't dominate the news cycle like it should have, in my opinion. And like you said, the last part, the suspension versus firing i mean that that makes no sense to me we got to leave it there more on that story uh to come if other things uh, unfold with it uh as always for this podcast speaking of unfolding that you got want to unfold take out the youtube video and eh, not a good transition we'll keep it in anyway but uh you can type in can we please talk podcast on our youtube channel check out all the video clips of all the interviews we've done on this program including jimena bustillo who was on the previous segment, audio podcast platforms, you know them by now, Apple, Spotify, Google. Leave us a five-star review and comment, please. Leave us any review. We'll read it over here. Speaking of reviews, can we please talk podcast at gmail.com. You want to email us or you got a question, concern, comment, anything, you know we love the feedback. Shout out to Acast, our hosting platform. Can't do it without them. Can't do it without each and every one of you that listens to this program, watches, writes in. As always, I am Mike Leon. 
and glad that the autumn is upon us. I am Nick Severi. See everybody next time. Bye.